We've all lost people that we love. And uh, some of those losses are ones from which we will never recover fully. Your child or your spouse is dying in your arms. There's no hope. There seems to be nothing more that anyone can do. You and everyone else around you is powerless to save your baby, the love of your life. You're being told by everyone around you that there is no answer, no solution, no cure, no hope. The words, the the smells, the sounds, even the room itself, even the doctors and the nurses in the room that are trying to help somehow become tainted and dark and heavy, a heavy weight in your heart and on your mind, an ugly memory. Memory of that place and those people and the events surrounding that death is like a dark cloud and it brings you to tears. It should. I know that these are hard memories to recall and some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. I have them too. Burned into my memory. But I'm asking you to feel those memories again with me right now. I'm asking you to go to that place and to feel that heavy burden. I'm asking you to remember how hopeless and heavy it felt. I want you to go there. I want you to feel it. I want you to embrace it. I want you to remember what it feels like to be hopeless and helpless and have nothing to do to fix it. This is exactly what this lost world around you outside these doors feels like and looks like right now. This is what the people that you see every day feel like. Whether they believe it or feel it or understand it or not, this is their reality. There is no hope. There is no cure. There is no answer. But what if? What if? What if a doctor that you've never seen before this time enters the room. And he says, I have the answer. I have the cure. I can save her. She's going to be just fine. As a matter of fact, she's going to be better than she ever, ever has been before. Better than you could ever imagine. That room, those events, and especially even that bearer of that good news in that moment All of those things become a thing of light and of beauty and joy and hope. You feel loved entirely and and like the whole world is a beautiful place in that moment. And that whole horrible, dark and empty scene becomes a thing of beauty out of darkness and despair. And as the one who brings that beautiful news is a part of that brand new memory, that person even becomes a thing 
of beauty. That's what God wants you and I to be to the lost, the hopeless, the helpless, the sin-ravaged, the dying world that's around you and I. A world filled with people on their way to a Christless eternity. He wants you to feel their burden. He wants you to feel the weight. He wants you to be driven to your knees by that burden. I'm not here today to entertain you. I'm not here today to calm your nerves or to make you feel good about yourself. I want you to understand that God has a purpose for you and for me in this world, and it's not about us. It's about others. It's about others. It's about the lost. You have the answer. I have the answer. What are we doing with that answer? God wants you to feel it. Feel the weight of it. Be driven to your knees by that heaviness. But here's the thing. God doesn't want you to stay there. This is not about beating yourself up about the lost. He doesn't want you to stay on the floor. He wants you to lean into that burden, to take hold of that burden with both hands. And he wants you to use that burden to catch God's vision, to catch his heart for the world around you that's lost. He wants you to see the need, the need that people need to hear this beautiful news of a Savior that loves them and has died for them. God calls you to be his beautiful messenger. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6 is our text today. Let's read that together. If you don't have a a Bible in your phone or a physical Bible, you know, one with pages. How quaint, right? Actual pages. Um, you can look on the screen. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders and make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. First, we're going to be seeing in this passage that we are called to live fully invested in prayer, Second, to pray for open opportunities to clearly share the gospel. And then third, to pursue every avenue to be God's messenger. First, live fully invested in prayer. What I want you to notice here in this text as you look at it is that this is the last thing that Paul says to these young believers before he gives uh, them the customary uh, final instructions and final Uh, comments, final goodbyes. Like the last words that you say in in a conversation, especially if it's someone that you most likely are not going to be speaking with again or have the opportunity to say anything to again, uh, they're, they're meant to have a significant impact on the readers, on the hearers. 
Much like Jesus' last words to his disciples, Paul saved the most important part till the end. In summary, or now finally, or so what I need you to remember above all else is, and then he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us that prayer should be like breathing for the child of God. We're to pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying, Paul says. Prayer should not only be something that we do in special places, at special times, with special people, in special clothes like we're doing today. It should be something that we live in. It should be a part of our DNA as a child of God. We should never leave home without it. It should always be with, with us. We should never take a step without it. We should never make a decision without it. We should never go a moment without spending time asking God for wisdom, seeking his counsel, seeking his guidance. Our lives should be fully invested in constant communication with the one and only source of wisdom and power and strength. Not only that, but God tells us in Galatians 5.17 that if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We can never hope to walk uh, in God's Spirit if we're not in constant communication with Him, right? There's no safe place for the child of God. No safer place, I should say, than for the child of God than in fellowship with Him. There's no safer place to be than in a right and close and intimate and constant relationship with God. Psalm 46, verse 1 tells us that God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. Colossians 3, verse 3 assures us that our union with Christ is secure and makes us secure because it says that we're hidden with Christ in God. Our eternal destiny is secure. But our daily walk can be pretty precarious, can't it? It can be up and down. It can be good and bad. We need and have the presence of God to sustain this walk of faith. God's promised us that. We know Christ is Savior. We have the indwelling Spirit of God himself. That should blow our minds that God is with us in that way. What he's saying to us is we can't do this life on our own. We can't live this Christian life alone. We weren't meant to live it alone. He's with us. And actually, God doesn't need my help at all to keep me in that place of security, does he? He definitely doesn't need me to sanctify myself, or he doesn't need my help in order for him to sanctify me. I need him. And so there's no more dangerous place to be as a child of God than out of communication with the one that loves my soul. If you're not living in a constant attitude and heart posture of prayer, then you're totally missing what the Christian life is all about. Paul's encouragement here to these Colossian believers is to maintain a lifestyle that's characterized by prayer. Yes, Paul is saying, I want you to understand the deep theological truths that I've shared thus far in that epistle. 
But here's what's pivotal to the whole thing, he's saying. Be people of prayer. Don't forget to pray. Don't forget that that's what your life should be all about. And clearly at this point, Paul hasn't forgotten what the final words of Jesus were to his disciples. Paul's not oblivious to that, the meta-narrative of Scripture and of the gospel message. Paul knows that his life and the life of these disciples is to be all about being God's messengers. Paul was doing some pretty deep theological teaching up to this point, but now he's preaching to these believers. He starts out by reminding them that prayer has to be the central strand of DNA in every child of God. Paul knows that God principally wants his children to be worshipers and not theologians, and that as a child of God, they need to continually, perpetually, every day, every moment, maintain a relationship, an intimate relationship with the Father in order to live out this call that God has on every life that's in Christ. God's call on your life as a child of God is to be his messenger, to share the gospel, to make disciples. And since what Paul says next is not sort of there isolated all by itself, and this verse isolated by itself, but because it's linked together in this immediate context, this call to live fully invested in prayer is connected to this next statement that he makes. Not only are we to live fully invested in prayer, we're to pray for open opportunities to clearly share the gospel, verses 3 and 4. It says, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, that is, clearly. Part of what you should be continuing to pray about, what your life of prayer should be about, is to pray that others would have clear and open opportunities to share the gospel of Christ. The scriptures point out clearly that we have enemies that don't want us to share the gospel. We have enemies that don't want this gospel message to go out. We have enemies that want to thwart God's plan to be salt and light, to be good image bearers of our Father, to make disciples of all nations, to live and to preach the gospel. The world, the flesh, and the devil would do everything in their power to shut down every opportunity to share Christ. With the lost. God's fully capable, though, isn't He? Of defeating all three of these enemies. But He's called you and He's called me to pray and ask Him for these open doors that Paul is talking about here so that the gospel can be preached. There are men and women and boys and girls and families with whom we co labor that you're seeing now on the screen here as a church who need your prayers. They need you to labor for them, to wrestle for them, to pray 
for them. They need you to pour out your heart for them. They need you to ask God to protect them, to provide for their needs, to give them joy as they serve, to give them fruit for their labors. Paul's asking for an open door to speak the unvarnished truth of the gospel. That's what these are, dear friends, that serve in other places, and some here are asking. Open doors. Pray for open doors. Not only that the doors would be open, but that he would recognize those open doors, right? Not just to have doors that are open for the gospel, but that we would see those open doors. We'd recognize the opportunities. He's also asking for prayer to speak the message clearly. He doesn't want to confuse his hearers. He wants the message to be understood. It should be the unvarnished truth of God's word, the pure and clear gospel of Christ. Have you ever been in a situation where you have had the chance to share Christ and you were afraid to be too clear? It's easy to kind of talk about how you need God in your life. You need to make a change. You should go to church. You should do all those nice things. But you didn't want to be that person. You didn't want to say out loud, you are a sinner without hope who needs a savior. You're lost and you're hopeless without this message that I'm bringing to you right now. You need Jesus. And you need the salvation that you can only find in him. Not only does God want you to bring his message to the lost, he wants you to pull no punches. Do we do it in a winsome and loving and compassionate and patient way? Absolutely. If not, that's not the Jesus that you and I know. But be clear. And that's what Paul is praying for, that we would that he would have a message that's clear and clearly communicated to those that God gives him opportunity to speak to. He wants you to give those people that he gives you opportunity to speak with the unvarnished truth. No frills, no extras. It's not about being good. It's not about being better. It's not about God grading on a curve because he doesn't. Sure, glad my math teacher is graded on a curve, but that's not how God works, is it? What does God expect? He expects perfection. Did you know that? Did you realize that? Have you thought about that lately? God expects perfection from you. You say, wait a minute, preacher. Perfection? Absolutely. That's why Jesus was the only one that could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came and became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the message. We're hopeless and helpless without our Savior. And he's brought us every hope for humankind in his beautiful gospel. Some of our missionaries that were up there live in places serve in places where speaking like that, we're speaking plainly and clearly 
can get you in a lot of trouble. Maybe jail. Maybe even dead. It's not a safe world if you want to be a clear gospel witness in some places. God wants you to boldly share his beautiful good news, even if it costs you. So we're encouraged here to live fully invested in prayer, to pray for open opportunities to clearly share the gospel. And then thirdly, in verses 5 and 6, pursue every avenue to be God's messenger. Verse 5 says, As walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Answer them about what? Talk to them about what? About the weather? About politics? Oh my head, if I had a nickel for every time I saw or heard someone talking about politics, I would be a wealthy man. Stop it. That's not what God wants you to be focusing on. Stop it. That's not your business. Your business is the Father's business. And His business is souls that need saved. End of story. That's it. The only thing, the only one, the only person, the only truth that can change this world. And is it messed up? Absolutely. Are we messed up as a nation? Absolutely. But what's going to change that? What's going to fix that? Some guy sitting in a big house that's painted white? No. There's only one that will ever fix that. And the way he fixes it is at the heart level. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 and following talks about a new covenant that God is going to bring. And he's bringing that new covenant through his son. As a matter of fact, his son is the new covenant that will be written on our hearts. And we'll have changed hearts and changed lives only by what Jesus does in us and through us. Stop talking about silly stuff. Stop talking about things that don't matter. And can I say this? This might be a little bit uh, edgy here, but stop praying about things that don't matter. Oh, wait, Pastor, but everything matters. Yeah, yeah, everything matters to God. But I dare say there's a lot more in Scripture about praying for a world that needs a Savior than there is about praying for an owie or even a serious illness that someone has. Not that we don't pray for those things. But what's God's heart? What's his priority? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we should always be prepared, always be ready to answer the clear message, clear, uh, to answer with a clear message. Those who would ask why we're so hopeful about the future. Why we're so hopeful about our lives and what's ahead. And that we're actually excited to be alive as a child of God. Now that presupposes a couple things, doesn't it? Presupposes, number one, that you do have hope. That you're not living without hope. 
that you're not buried underneath your circumstances and under the hopelessness of a lost, broken world, but that you live with joy that your life, not just your words, speaks loudly that good news that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. That he sent his one and only son to come to this earth and live a perfect and sinless life to perform that great exchange, our sin for his righteousness. How could there be any better news than that? How could there be anything that compares to that? The need of every human heart, not just for now, but for eternity, is answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that mankind needs has been provided by the Father. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling here. Are you taking advantage of those opportunities that God gives you to share the gospel? You have the answer to every human need. You can be that doctor in that room, in that positive scenario. You can be that beautiful messenger with a beautiful message. Second thing it assumes here, presupposes here, is that not only do you have hope, but that you've developed relationships with unbelievers, right? Nobody's going to ask you anything if they don't know you and trust you. And if you haven't shown them something that they hadn't seen before and that they're curious about. What non-believers have, you personally spent time with recently. What unsaved people have you been around recently? When was the last time you spoke with someone who didn't know Christ? When was the last time you looked him or looked her in the eye and asked them if, I, if they knew where they'd be when they passed from this world? When was the last time you shared the love of Christ with someone who has no hope beyond this life? When was the last time you deeply felt that burden that we talked about at the beginning? I know it's a hard burden to bear, the death of a one that you love, that it feels like your arms have been torn off. I know that feeling. It's something you don't get over. You're not supposed to get over. But God wants you to lean into that feeling, lean into that reality, that life is hopeless without Christ, and there are millions of people around you that need a Savior. When was the last time you deeply felt that burden for the lost? And let that burden transform your passivity into action to share your faith. Prayer should definitely be a part of everything that you do. It should be the kind of principal MO for all of us. It should be that central strand of DNA. 
But if you're not praying as a Christian, not just for yourself, but for others and for the lost, then what are you doing? What are you doing with your time here? Why do you think God wants you here? Why are you still alive? Wouldn't it have been cool if God saved us, brought us to faith in Jesus Christ, gave us new life, filled us with the Spirit of God, and gave us the indwelling of the Spirit of God, and, and gave us one another, and then said, okay, you've got, uh, you got five days, and you're coming home. Or, or, or what if you did it immediately? You get saved, and you go right to heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? No, it wouldn't. Because God wants to use you in the lives of others. Why do you think he still gives you life and breath? If you're not in constant communication with him, then how do you know what he, what he wants from you? How do you know how he wants you to live? Further, I know this is not news to you, but you're not here for yourself. I'm not here for myself. God leaves you and he leaves me here for others. When Jesus gave the law expert his answer to that question of which of the 613 commandments of the Old Covenant were the most important, Jesus said, love God and love everyone else. He was making it clear that relationship is God's priority. First, relationship with him, but second, relationship with others. Loving others. You're here to be salt and light, to draw others to the Savior. Jesus' last words to his disciples were all about bringing others to a saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not about live a good life, have fun, enjoy yourself, make lots of money, be comfortable, try to be happy, because that's the most important thing to me. I really care about your happiness. He didn't say that. What did he say? You're here to be used by me, to be my servant, to be my vessel, to bring others to Christ. Oh, and by the way, you get the added benefit of having the Spirit of God live in you. You have the the beauty of the body of Christ, and you also have the Word of God. I haven't left you alone to fend for yourself. You're here, and I love you, and you're important to me. You're significant to me, but I've got a purpose for you. And it's not to live your best life now. That ain't it. It's to be God's beautiful messenger to those around you. Again, God's not focused on our health or our wealth or our prosperity or our ease or contentment or fulfillment. And as, as foreign as it might sound to your ears and to mine, those things are, are, are really not what burden, burdens God's heart. They're not. What burdens his heart and what should burden your heart and your mind is men and women, boys and girls who need hope in this world, that need a savior, they need to hear, they need to see the answer in your life and in, hear it in your words. They need you to be that beautiful messenger. So pray, yes, but stop focusing on your personal needs a little bit. And even the personal needs of those you love. 
Focus on what's most important. Focus on your, in your prayers on what God is asking you to do, what he's leading you towards, how he's guiding you each day so that you can be the best possible representative of the kingdom that you can. That you can love him more, that you can love others more, that you can draw others by your life so that they're going to ask you why you're so different, why you're so hopeful. Pray that God would make you a testimony for him. Pray that God would give you opportunities to love others in a way that draws their attention to Jesus. What about those people that you can never reach with the gospel? That's where praying for open doors, not just for yourself, but for those missionaries that you know all around the world. That's what that's all about. Josh, put those pictures up again, would you? I want people to see who they're praying for. Particularly the six families that we love and support in ministry. How often do you pray for them? How often do you go to battle for them in prayer? How often do you plead with the Father that God would swing doors wide open so that they can share the gospel safely and clear, clearly and joyfully with the lost. And then as you, you live your own life in a daily attitude of prayer, seeking God's guidance and counsel, those open doors that God has for you, when he opens those opportunities for you, are you ready? Are you willing to open your mouth and to speak the beautiful message that brings the joyful news that there's a Savior that loves sinners like you and like me. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the beautiful gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you as we, we sang earlier, God, that we have the joy of our sins forgiven, but the, we have the hope of heaven. What a beautiful future we have. What an awesome responsibility we have between now and then to share that news so that others can come with us. We, we realize, Father, the only thing we will bring with us from this world to the next is other people. Please, God, give us courage, give us grace, give us wisdom, be merciful. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to pray for open doors for ourselves and for others, especially those that we know we're serving in places that are dangerous. And help us, God, to grab hold of, to pursue, to run after every opportunity that you give us and share the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.